continue to worship this morning. Galatians chapter 3. 1 through, oh, I think 9, but you know, sometimes I wish I could have a conversation with Paul and the writers of Scripture and say, where do you really have a new thought come to be? Because, you know, you just never know sometimes. Everyone almost agrees that chapter 3 is a new line of thinking, to some extent, for Paul in this book. But no one agrees after that, does it stop at 5, does it stop at 6, does it stop at, I think, maybe 9, or does it go all the way to 14? And in some weeks, it's kind of like what we do on Wednesday nights. We, I throw numbers of verses up in the air and say, okay, Lord, which one stops? But what we can say is Paul is moving forward in his argument or his theology. Theology, for those of you who um, maybe don't grow up in church, is a word we use a lot of times for doctrine, but theology really is just how we think about God. That's it. That's it. And I think for those of us who have been in the church long enough, I think we need to be reminded that sometimes we use words that those who have never been in the church just have not a clue what we mean. Theology and doctrine is one of those things. I mean, you just don't know what that means. It's just a way of thinking about God, Christ, and the world. You know, to some extent, it's very similar to worldview that's a little bit more known in our culture right now. But, but just, we, you know, I think sometimes it's a good reminder that we got to be careful that we are not talking a language that people can't understand. As good as those words may be, if, if I'm in a foreign country, someone could be complimenting me on something, but if I don't understand it, what good is it, right? I could be telling my kids the best thing, but if they don't understand what I'm really saying because they can't grasp it, it's not necessarily their fault. They don't get it. And that is true within Scripture. That is true within how we live out our life. Is sometimes we can talk and we think the other person is listening, and they're not. And so I think we need to be reminded of that. And so we, here we are in Galatians 3. And Galatians 3 reminds us of this truth. Life is full of experiences, are they not? I mean, I could have said life is full of, and then let you put it in the blank, but I'm afraid where some of you may have gone. You know, uh, depending on your day this morning, you, you have lots of words. Depending on uh, lots of things. I mean, I've had some experiences this morning. Some of them have been good. Others of them have been neutral. Some of them have been not as good. You know? And I will have more experiences the rest of this day. I hope most of them are good. But this world is broken, right? So chances are something's going to happen that I might not like. But life is full of experiences. Paul is going to start to talk about experiences here. Our Lord talked about experiences in life. Because experiences are powerful. 
What you go through has power. Their experience isn't just neutral in a lot of regards. It's powerful. It's not void of any power. See, sometimes I think we, we can forget this. In, in a world that up until recently was all about thoughts and logic, if you could just re have reason and rationale, so it went from this point, point A, to point B, to point C, to point D, and as long as you could figure it out mentally, everything was good. We call it the world of modernity, of modernness. It was what brought in the Industrial Revolution. I mean, some of the great things of life happened during that time. I mean, uh, the boys with their trail life group, uh, we went to the Air Force Museum yesterday. I mean, it was only because of this logic and this rationale that we could get from planes of the early 1900s to stealth bombers, or to what Justin Bayham does. I mean, he controls an aircraft halfway around the world from Springfield, Ohio. Hello? I mean, do you think about that? Yeah, that's amazing, Isla, isn't it? I know it. All right, what a powerful, and I can conceptualize that, but if, if I can experience it, wow. My depth of understanding. And then what happens, there's debate whether it started in the 60s or 70s, but it's definitely true now, something called postmodernism, postmodernity. Where it's not just, it's not that logic and rationale have been thrown out the window, though I realize some would say that, but it's about experiences. Why? Because we're realizing that experiences are very powerful. They can ground us in things. They can teach us truths in things. And so we went from one pendulum to the next pendulum, and if you guys have listen to me for any length of time, and those of you who've been in, in this church since I came over six years ago, you know, I tend to not be on the fringes of about anything. Whether you like it or not, I tend to not be one side or the other. Which probably means I frustrate everybody, including myself. I tend to think, if we're, if, with a pendulum, if we go up this way, guess what happens? Anybody know? Where would we go? Woo! And if we end up over here, where would we go? Okay, how many of you have ever been to Kings Island? Do you remember the Viking ship? You're not going to do that, Lena? Why not? But the truth of the matter, Lena, is here to get. Do what? Ah! And that experience, Lena, can I use this as an object lesson today? Okay, so I don't mean anything I'm going to say terribly personal. Okay. Alright. Lena doesn't like that experience. Why? Because she's not in control. The reality is she's not in control. But but she may remember that truth, but the experience of the Viking. By the way, I didn't like the Viking ship unless I was in the middle. And that's where I was going. I like because I don't like to go swamp. I mean like the truth. You know? I don't like swinging that far around. I don't think it's because I don't like to be in control. I think it just makes me sick. You know, but maybe it's a little bit more. 
you know. But the reality is, is the truth of the matter is, is we aren't in control, but we can, if we don't have experiences that remind us we are not in control, we can act as if we are. See, because not only experience is powerful, they can be deceiving. You can think one way based on experience. You can think life is awful. My kids, I'm glad they go downstairs and they don't hear all this. All right? You know, uh, to see life through kids, it was beautiful last night. They were playing the weed, all of them together. And they weren't hurting each other. <clears throat> and they were not playing boxing, where they could actually act out maybe some of their frustration with one another. You know? But they were loving it. They were playing Mario Kart, and uh, each of them had their own. It was Daniel and Eliana versus Josiah. So, you know, really not surprised by that. I think also Josiah wanted it that way. You know, but there were times where he was, he was telling me, because of his experience with the game, that the Wii and Mario Kart hated him. And those were his words. Hated him. Because he could never get the bullet. Now, those of you who've never played Mario Kart, and I'm not going to just, I'm going to generalize, those of you who are a certain age, you know, that's probably true. The bullet is what takes you and makes you go really, really, really fast for a short period of time. It's only given to those who are in last place. Guess who was in last place? like all but maybe four races. Eliana. In fact, one race she just kind of said, I, I give up, and she just never played it. So she was consistently in 12th place. And she thought that I was great. I, I can't uh, tell you the, the uh, shock I had for some reason when she came up to me as I was watching them. She said, Dad, Dad, I got in eighth place this time. And you would have thought she won. But he, Josiah, thought Mario Kart hated him because he would not, could not get the bullet. He was in first place half the time. It wasn't that event. But one time he lost at the very end. And he just says, it's it, this game is unfair. He's ready to quit. His experience was trying to teach him that, that he was hated, which was deceiving him. And that's our concern. That's my concern, is that if we're not careful, we can go from this rational, logical, all the way over to the experience side of things and forget that as powerful as experiences are, they can be very, very deceiving. And what we must do is submit our experiences, submit really all of life to Scripture. And that's what Paul is talking about here. That's what Paul is going to continue to ground ourselves in. But we can't just say, here's scripture, the Bible says so. That works. And it worked in a different age. But guess what? That won't always work if we don't tailor it with also experiences. The Bible says that you are loved. Now, my question is, is where have you experienced love? Have you? Because you're probably not willing to uh, believe that truth if you've not experienced it. And I can argue all I want. You are loved, you are loved, you are loved. But if you don't experience it, it doesn't matter what I say. 
Am I wrong? Is it not true? No. Experience. We need to kind of remarry the two. Uh, I rarely give you quotes, but I thought this was too good to pass up this morning. Because I think we can get there. Theology, the way of thinking about God or a Christian faith without experience is sterility. It's sterile. What does sterile mean? Can't do anything. Neutral. Well, experience without theology is emotionalism. I feel it, so therefore it must be true. True theology, true way of living out Jesus is something that also needs to be experienced, and experience needs to be theologically sound. By Scott McKnight, who, uh, one of the resources I will read every week is the NIV Application Commentary. He's also a seminary professor at uh, Northern Theological Seminary, which is historically a miracle practice ground. And I thought, wow, that's too good to miss. Because see, part of the problem with the book of Galatians, part of what is going on is the, the enemies of Paul in Galatians is trying to argue for a theological way of thinking of God. Trying to argue a way of being based on how you think. And Paul starts out, Paul starts out with verse chapter 3, Oh, you foolish and illogical Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Didn't you receive the Holy Spirit from the law or from the uh, work of faith? Verses 1 and 2. He's calling them to their experience. And what he is saying is each covenant has had a sign. The Judaizers, the world of Paul prior, if you were a Jew, there was one sign that really meant whether or not you were a faithful Jew. And in order to be in that covenant, you had to go through this. Those of you who have been around the church long enough, do you know what that sign was? Not the law, but it was a part of the law. Actually, it back farther. Look back to his call to say Abraham. Who wants to give a guess? Circumcision. And that's the way the Galatians would be called. Circumcision. Each sign had a covenant, or each covenant had a sign. Circumcision. What was the sign of Noah? Rainbow. Sign of Moses. What was it? No? I thought I heard it. The law, the Ten Commandments. The sign of David, kingdom, throne, sons. The sign of Jesus. What was it, Cindy? The cross. But also argue, I think Paul will argue, the sign of the covenant of Jesus isn't just the cross, it is the spirits. They're, they're synonymous, I believe, in a lot of ways. So let me ask you to get started. Which covenant are you living under? Which covenant do you really live under? That's what Paul is saying. Who's bewitched you? Who's changed you? You started out under which covenant? How did you receive the Spirit? Was it under faith in Jesus? Or was it under the workings of the law, working out the Ten Commandments? He would go on as he gives rhetorical questions over and over. Are you so foolish? He says in verse 3. 
to begin in the Spirit, but now we're trying to complete your salvation through the law. He goes on. Have you suffered in, has the suffering you've been under useless? What covenant are you running on? Not always just what did you start under. But today, February 27th, 2022, what covenant are you trying to live under? Which covenant is? See, because he goes on to say, just as Abraham, verse 6, believed in God and it was credited to him as righteous, then those that are of the faith, those are the true sons of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that faith in God would justify the Gentiles. Proclaimed the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Therefore, it is those of faith who are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. A lot of times we think the opposite of faith and work, or the opposite of works and deeds is faith. And I think there's a lot that it is. In fact, the word that's in, fact in, in some of the translations this morning, it probably says in there the, the idea of uh, the flesh. It is probably mentioned once or twice. And I'm not going to find it right away, so the works of the flesh. And we think the works of the flesh are in an app. the opposite of that is faith and belief. According to Paul here in Galatians 3, I believe the opposite of that is the spirit. It's not just faith, it's the spirit, the spirit of Christ. This is why he's going to say in, later on in this book, and I'm not trying not to flip too hard ahead, far ahead, but Paul talks about that you are to live, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say, live by faith, and you won't do it. It's the Spirit. Because see, sometimes, and I think this is where we sometimes kind of just we unintentionally fall back into old patterns. We forget that the, the, the a faith is a whole body experience. It's not just a rational belief, though it is that. Abraham, the example of faith, he was his faith meant something different. See, some of the enemies of the gospel Paul is proclaiming, the fact that Jesus alone saves fully. Shorthand for, or longhand for justification. Abraham had this faith that what God said would be true. Genesis 12, Genesis 15. At neither of those times did Abraham have a son. At neither of those times was Abraham circumcised. And Paul's saying, look at your own experience, Galatians, or I submit to you, the church today, here, and those of you online. Were you saved by something you did or by the grace of God? Because you believed what was proclaimed. Paul says, look, if, the, if my enemies want to go back to Abraham, let's go back to Abraham to some extent. Because Abraham, and Genesis says, was, was 
believed that and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now there's debate what that really means, but he had yet to be circumcised. Circumcision comes years later. So the sign of the covenant isn't just circumcision. It is faith. It is the Spirit of God that says, God said it, I'm going to walk in it. Because God's people across all nations, tongues, God's people throughout all the scripture are people of faith. They weren't people of circumcision. If so, Adam and Eve are out. You realize that? I think sometimes we forget. You realize Enoch, who the scripture says he walked with God and then he was no more, most likely wasn't circumcised? Didn't matter. Rahab wasn't, didn't matter. Ruth wasn't, didn't matter. Because God's people were people of faith. In response to God showing up and showing up, they said, I'm going to walk in this way. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. He said, well, the Spirit wasn't in the Old Testament. Said, I get that. But see, sometimes we, we forget that the Spirit is another word for Jesus, which is another word for God, because they're all three in one. They're the same. And we can't, our brains can't comprehend that. At least not mine. Okay? I'm too simple-minded. Faith in Christ is submitting to the Spirit. Submitting to the Spirit is submitting to Christ. Because the Holy Spirit will never contradict Jesus, and Jesus will never contradict His Word. And the Word will never contradict Jesus, nor will it contradict the Spirit. That's why we submit all things to Scripture. God's people are always people of faith, which means something different happens. A conversion. An experience. It's different. It's no longer the same. So let me ask you a series of questions. Very similar maybe to what Paul would have said, or is saying in these short verses. Does God save only certain types of people? Are there only certain ones that get in? Or does God save any and all who come? Does God only use old ways of doing things or new ways of doing things? Can men, women, and children have the Spirit of God? Do you have to be a certain age? Do you have to be a certain gender? Do you have to look a certain way in life? Can Russians have the Spirit of God? Can Democrats have the Spirit of God? Can Republicans? Can those who say, did y'all have the Spirit of God? Is the gospel I believe based on Scripture or my thoughts of Scripture? Have I really tested? Does God only help those who help themselves? You want to know how many times I hear this? 
Is submitting to the Spirit of Jesus worth it? Or can I just do it my own way? Because I'm really not sure it's worth it. Is humbling myself below someone else a sign of weakness or a sign of strength? Do I have to have it all together before I can serve? Sorry, these are just some that are coming. We've got nothing to look at. Okay? Do I have to do it all, or will God raise up somebody to do it? If he calls it. Do I have to have all the details in place? Do I have to just have a... Can I just have a big idea and hope all the details fall into place? Does faith matter? Does my faith matter? <clears throat> the way forward, friends, is our reason's mission. The way forward, friends, is on our knees and falling under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we may not like it. Because it means I can't dictate to somebody else. There's only one person who gets to dictate their terms on an individual. And that is Christ. I have my own way of what I think is true. But my way isn't the Lord's way. I am not the way, the truth, and the life. But I know the one who is. I can't abandon truth, for Christ is truth. But I, and I can't highlight just experiences, but i got to marry the two into a beautiful picture. What about you? That's what Paul is arguing. He says, if you want to be the people of God, you've got to like Abraham, the man of faith. You must be willing to submit when it doesn't make sense. You must be willing to go where you never knew you were needed to go. You must be willing to leave behind maybe all that you've known. But then we read in the New Testament that that wasn't the way Peter was. It. He stayed with what he had known, Jerusalem, Judea. And God used him there. Paul had to go away from what he had known, Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the world. Is it the same spirit that compels you and compels me? As I try to wrap up, One of the pictures on display right now in Eastern Europe is a picture of two different types of leaves. One that 
is I think, my personal opinion, probably will agree with me, but I don't think that for certain. One, that it's hallmark, is pride, arrogance, selfishness, independence, might equals right, and then, in a paradox upon paradox, we have another leader who willingly is submitting, willingly to say, I will stay with my people in the midst of my people. I am willing, but not a man. That's not arrogance. That's not prideful. That's not independence. That's not selfishness. And I, as well as others, it is almost May I submit this for your chewing under the submission of the Holy Spirit? I wonder if we as Western, I wonder if we as American Christians are seeing the difference. I wonder if we are, or we're just saying, I'm going to, I got it, I got it. I wonder if we're seeing the power of when a leader is willing to submit and, and humble themselves and not look after their own way of being. I wonder if we're seeing what we're experiencing it, friends. Will we see the truth in the experience? Will we humble ourselves to see it? Are we seeing the church of the future in Ukraine and in Russia? Where we, as American Christians, as Western Christians, as individual Christians, must submit and go, wow, this is a powerful expression of the Holy Spirit. And friends, I believe this to be true. And I hope it is that we are going to see a revival of people coming to Jesus in the midst of this conflict in Ukraine, in Russia, that we as American Christians have to sit back and go, wow. And maybe the Spirit will knock on our hearts and go, you've missed it. You missed it. So friends, let me just ask this question again. If I can find it. Is submitting to the Spirit of Jesus worth it? Today, tomorrow, and whatever may come. Is it worth it? Father God, we come. We come because we, we are going to submit ourselves to you. Maybe. The reality is we gotta, we got to ask the question, is submission to you worth it? Or is what we go through just useless? Lord, only us individually but collectively we can do this. Knowing that when we submit ourselves to you, yeah, there is a beautiful future. We persevere to the end. So, Lord, may we submit just this moment, this day, to who you are. Lord, may I submit again this moment, this day, to who you are. Truly believing and showing that when I submit to you, it is the best way. It is the way of life. It is where freedom is found. And so, Lord, may you do the work only you can do this day and every day. Lord, I thank you that you are worthy of submission. You are not selfish. You are not arrogant. You are not prideful. You are not independent. For if that was true, the cross would never have taken place. But because you are willing, as Philippians says, to submit yourself and be obedient 
to death, even death on a cross, you receive the name of all names. So that if we are found in you, we receive a name from you. A name that is beautiful, that is holy, that is good, that is a gift of grace. Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray this in the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen.